Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 and the last time the message was titled repentance personified and you know Jesus he met with all types of people wealthy poor male female disabled ambulatory Um, so he he's preaching and there's a gentleman who probably by his own admission was not always honest with his financial dealings Zacchaeus And Zacchaeus is totally moved, totally convicted by the Spirit, and he, you know, he meets Jesus and he immediately repents, right? So he's repentance personified. I like to say that because, you know, you can look at repentance, which there's a bigger meaning to it, but it means to change, right? Self-directed life to the direction of God. Um, a lot of things we do have to change. So Zacchaeus is, is that repentance personified. I did explain it in theological terms, but I also explained it in simple terms. So if you didn't get it, definitely get it off the website for free. Uh, today, the message is titled, Do Business Until He Comes. Thank you. So Jesus, right? Jesus um, tells his parable, right? Do business so he sort of seems to tell a story, but his followers are listening, but it's something they need to hear. What does he mean? The parable is sort of a little terse. It's a little rough, right? It has some very strong uh, emotions that can be evoked when he tells the parable. What does he want from us? The amazing thing about Jesus is that he speaks to his believers, what I would say diachronistically, which is a lot of syllables, and it just means that God is outside of time. So Jesus is speaking to his followers, right? Jerusalem, they're going into Jerusalem, they have expectations. So he has to explain some things to them uh, that he's not going to come in power and glory at that particular time. That comes later. But what they should be doing until he returns. So for 2,000 years... When we read the parable, we see the same thing. So as believers in New Jersey in 2023, we also, there's a message for us, uh, two, uh, really a twofold message. But in addition to that, he does say that one day we will stand before God and he will hold us accountable for how we lived our lives, especially as believers. So we're going to jump in and we're going to look at this in six parts. And jumping into verse 11... It says, now as they heard these things, right? As we go through Luke and Matthew and John, you know, this is a really a biography, a recording of Jesus's life. So wherever we leave off and start off, it's going to reference something that happened before. So it's for the most part in a chronological type of order. So as they heard these things, things that he did before Zacchaeus, um, you know, the discussion he has with Zacchaeus, his salvation, As they heard these things, he, Jesus, spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. I love the honesty of the scripture, right? His followers weren't perfect, just like we're not perfect. They misread some of, well, it was on their, you know, he was very clear, but it was on their um, end. 
And it says, therefore, he, Jesus said, so he tells this parable, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, do business until I come. But his citizens, different group, hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, so the, it was a futile attempt by the delegation, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money. Now we're back to the servants, right? Can't read this too fast. To be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew, or if you knew, we're going to go into the translation, that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he already has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That's hard on face value until we explain what that means. But bring here those enemies of mine, different group, who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Wow, Jesus, what are you talking about? This is some heavy stuff here. Well, one out of six is the backdrop or the catalyst or the impetus, right? What happens to spur this parable that Jesus tells? Well, Jesus and his followers are headed to Jerusalem. There's messianic fever. Did you know that uh, all the way back in the Old Testament, there were several time-sensitive prophecies that basically told followers that the Messiah would come in the first century. Now, people have been looking for the Messiah in every century and every millennia afterwards, but that window has come and gone, and only Jesus could fulfill that. That's powerful. A lot of people don't know that. So there's a messianic fever. Josephus, the historian, says at this time, because of the time period, there were about 2 million pilgrims who came to Jerusalem. Think about, I don't know, any city. You know, you hear, oh, there's an influx of thousands of people for this festival. Two million people were influxing into Jerusalem, right? They're like, this could be the year that the Messiah delivers us. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, read thoughts. This is definitely God. He's definitely going to vanquish the Romans. So you, now you get the whole backdrop to why Jesus tells his parable. So, you know, they remember the Passover is the celebration of how God freed the Israelites from the Egyptians. So they were thinking, well, maybe God will free us from the Romans. Ah, but Jesus had to show them and tell them that the Passover lamb had to come first. That was to actually save them, right? The judgment comes later. So there's so many reasons why. I mean, we can hindsight as 2020. 
um, to look at why Jesus came first as the suffering servant, substitutionary death on the cross for our sins, the redemption of the soul, which is more important, the spiritual, which is eternal, the redemption of the creation and the physical realm comes later. Okay? So all heavy stuff here. Uh, but Jesus, I, he does a phenomenal job of kind of drawing them into this story and then explaining what it means. So he wanted to, listen, Jesus told them outright, we covered this, right? I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified. Could you imagine that? Jesus is telling them and like, nah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> he raised the dead. He's going to, he's, he's, it's a parable, it's an enigma. No, no, he was speaking plainly. So now he's speaking to them in parables because they weren't getting it. But I wonder sometimes, are we any different than any believer in any time period? You know, when God's timetable is not our timetable, doesn't it unnerve us sometimes? Well, I thought God was going to do this, right? And it didn't happen. Um, because God is infinite. He's, he knows everything. And we're kind of on a learning curve, so to speak. Or when the majority, right, the Christian community, think that God should do this. Since when do we usurp His role, right? Um, oh, He didn't do that. But we all thought that He was going to do that. So God is God, and we're His followers, and we have to respond to what He shares with us, whether it was back then or today. Two, the symbols. I'm going to go through the symbols, which are going to be more evident as we get deeper into this parable. So, the nobleman is Jesus. Now, when Jesus, when the nobleman returns, they call Him Master. It's a term of respect. It's a term of lordship, right? So these are his, um, these are the believers, right? So he's the nobleman. He goes to a far country. Didn't Jesus tell us, didn't he tell his followers in John 14 while he was still there? I'm leaving. <laughs> where are you going? <laughs> we don't know where you're going, Jesus. When are you going to come back? And he says, I'm going to go. He goes back to heaven right after the ascension. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. So Jesus told his followers, like if we read the Bible, we know these things. We knew that he wasn't going to physically stay on the earth for the last 2,000 years, right? He had to ascend, but he's going to come back. The far country is heaven. Pretty neat stuff. Uh, the three groups, A, the servants. We're the believers. We're the servants. Um, B is the citizens, which is the world that is still in rebellion against Christ. It, whether it's back then, whether it's today, whether it's whenever the Lord returns. So don't be, don't be in that category. It's not a category you want to be in. And C is the wicked and lazy servant, which is a little bit more difficult to decipher. But I'm going to do my best as we go through this. Um, the mina. The mina is something that they all get one of. He has ten servants. They all get a mina. We don't know what the other seven did, but for the sake of the parable, he tells us what three of the servants did. So everybody gets the same amount, which is different than the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. So I'm not going to go through that because there's a lot of differences. It's not the same parable. It's very different. So everybody gets a mina. What is a mina? Well, if we are spiritually investing in the lives of others, sharing our faith being a good example, because not, not all of us are as talkative as me. I can talk, just keep going and going and going until I pass out. But this, that's not everybody, right? So some people are more, you know, they're more, you know, watch what I do 
and then they're asked a question and then they can share the things of Christ. Uh, so, but we do spiritually invest in the lives of other people. So the mina could be God's word. We all get the same, right? It's, we're all given that privilege. It could be the gospel, the message of salvation. It could be a lot of things. It could be multiple things. We're not exactly sure what the minas mean, but suffice to say, we're supposed to do something with it while we're living this life. The minas multiplied are being a living gospel, you know, sometimes in words, sometimes in actions, sometimes a combination of both. Okay, and it gives rise to others getting at least a little bit closer to God. Maybe you seal the deal and lead somebody to Christ. Maybe you just get them a little closer, and that's good too. So, 12 through 14. Let's go back because, you know, if you're not everybody studies Greco Roman history, but it's an interesting thing because there's some, some parallels here. So, he says, gives this story about the nobleman goes into the far country. To receive a kingdom and a return. So he called ten of his servants. He delivers the minas. Right? I just read this. Do business till, his com- till I come. Fourteen. But his citizens, different group, hated him. Send a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So three is historical allusions? Question mark. So it's my job, right, to know history. My job is to, when the gospel was written, um, you start to read a lot about this history and it pulls out more flavor of what Jesus was saying than if we didn't know any Roman history. So we look at this. Um, Jesus seems to use this parable and to bring out embedded history. So there was an event that happened not many years prior to Jesus telling this parable. And the event that everybody would have been familiar with would be a man named Herod Archelaus. He was the son of Herod the Great, right? The great builder. Um, great, mm, not great in a, in a godly way, but great in a worldly way. And if you look in your history books, you'll find Herod the Great. He had multiple sons. One of them was Herod Archelaus. When his father died, he would wanted to take the, the area of Jerusalem and be called the king. But he couldn't do that without the emperor's permission. So Archelaus takes a journey <laughs> to Rome uh, to the emperor to secure his father's kingdom. At the same time, there was a delegation of influential people who also went to Rome in a separate route and said to the emperor, we hate this guy, please do not make him king. Well, as the story goes, and it's a true story, the emperor gave him rulership. He was, didn't really have the title of king, but he had a part of his father's uh, kingdom. And when he came back, he was able to deal with his detractors. Now, there's another scripture right, in Genesis 49, which at this time, not talking about now, at this time, it happened more than a thousand years. It was written right before the Roman Empire was anything. This is how beautiful God's prophecies are. This is how you know the Bible is true. How you can, he can, God can speak about empires and specific people and events that happen before they even exist. So in Genesis 49.10, we're told that the rulership would be removed from the Jewish people and given to the Gentiles in a sense. But at that time, the Messiah would come. <laughs> That's powerful. 
So basically, you've got uh, Herod Archelaus, who gets the kingdom for a certain time. Then, due to incompetence, he's removed, and they put Caponius now, which is a Roman uh, procurator, in there. So there's a, a switch, a time of Jesus coming to the earth, that this actually happens in the political realm. And Caponius, I think uh, a few after Caponius, we get who we know of. I don't know who Caponius is, like people saying, but we get Pontius Pilate. Now we're all familiar with him. So pretty neat stuff, a lot of history. There's just so many layers to this. It's, it's so powerful when you know this stuff and you can share it with somebody who doesn't know and say, listen, this is the power of God. Nobody, nobody could know. I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> the meteorologist can't tell you if it's going to be rain. It drives me crazy. It's going to rain. Yeah, we need it. And the clouds pass by. I'm like, hon, did you see any? She goes, we didn't get a drop. Oh, these meteorologists. And I bet they get paid a lot of money. So let's just move on. But when God says something, it happens, right? He's got a 100% success rate. Um, so let's go through this just for a moment, is because some people may say, Pastor Joe, this is, I'm already confused. Like, this is man, so much information here. Let's look at this for a second. Jesus is nothing like the sinful rulers, the evil sinful rulers, but he's making a comparison. There's different techniques that Jesus uses that theologians today have coined. So one is arguing from the lesser to the greater. Obviously, Archelaus, as an earthly man, is the lesser. Jesus is the greater. Um, there's also another technique used. It's called going from the, the, uh, the known to the unknown. You see, listen, if you're here and you're a brand new believer or you're searching, you're like, this parable, man, I, I, I don't completely get it. Well, the people didn't completely get it either. So he helps them to make this leap. He does three things. He says, here's a story, and there are symbols to the story. We'll talk about the symbols. Two, he says, and I'm paraphrasing, here's a story, but you all know the story because it's very similar to what happened a few years back. Three, which is the most important, he says, here's the story, let me tell you what the spiritual significance of that story is. And that's what Jesus did. It could be a healing, it could be a discussion, it could be a question from the crowd. Jesus always took the discussion and brought it back to, I want everybody get, to get to heaven. You know, If you want to know the Lord's heart, that's his heart. And he's going to say everything he can to get them there. So yeah, this one is one of the more difficult parables. But as we go on, you'll start to see it sort of come to light. So in verse 13, the nobleman says to his servants, do business till I come. Now, the mina, and this would, this would be a common thing back in the day, right? The mina was up to several months of a person's wage. New Jersey's funny because you have poverty level and you have multimillionaires. So it's kind of hard to find the median um, salary of the average New Jerseyan. However, if in my best estimate, um, he gave, it would be several months of wages to his servants to say, go out and do business, go invest. So in today's amount, it would be close to him giving each of his servants 50 grand, 50 grand, 50 grand. Wow. So that, that kind of really lends to the value of what Amina is. You know, as we start picking this apart, everything reinforces the story that Jesus gives. So it's a lot of money to give to his servants, to send out and say, you just go do business for me. You know, I trust you. So, um, Again, this morning, 
we're, we're to understand as we get through this story is that we're called to do spiritual investing. We are the servants of the nobleman, right? And he gives us things that are valuable to go out and share with others or even get people a little bit closer to God in some way. And we're going to talk about the small things because sadly in American Christianity, people who don't know it, they go on the internet and they watch TV and everything's big and grandiose and expensive, and, you know, $100,000 chandeliers and big, you know, gaudy churches. And is that what Jesus asked when he left? No, some head shaking. Yeah, I don't think so either. I would rather listen to what Jesus taught than what religion teaches. Amen? So some people say getting people closer to God, that's for clergy. Okay. I love to debate, I love to argue, I love to, you know, to reason with people. And I would just say this, if you come into a situation where you get closer to God and you develop a, a relationship and you're praying and you, you know, it's not perfect because we're not perfect, He is. Um, you, you have sort of a perfect spouse and, and you're not, right? Or a perfect parent. But basically what happens is, you know, you are fulfilled, your life starts to change. Zacchaeus was rich, but Zacchaeus' riches didn't bring him happiness. I know a lot of wealthy people that don't know the Lord. It doesn't bring them happiness either. So he is looking and seeking for Jesus. So whatever, rich, poor, you find Christ. You find you're in a relationship with him. So here's my question. Wouldn't you want everyone you know and love to also have that relationship with him? course we would so the question becomes as we grow in our faith we ask ourselves or we ask our pastors or people that we can trust and we say what can i do to be a part of god's grand plan to bring people into the kingdom and that's really so you know sometimes i can go into the heavy theological stuff and then sometimes i just go into the simple explanation that everybody can understand you know so for me personally i got to be honest with you the first several years several I didn't really know how to share my faith, and, and I, was, I, was a, I failed. I made a lot of mistakes. But in my heart, I wanted to see my friends, my family, even strangers, get a little bit closer to God. So it was something that I pursued, but it didn't happen overnight. And I'm just, full disclosure, I'm just being honest with you. Um, verse 14, we're switching now from the servants to the citizens. The citizens hated him. Okay. The world, since... Sin entered the world in, in the human race has, been, has brought sin into the world, death into the world, and uh, antipathy or hostility towards the things of God. And I'm just going to say, it wasn't until my mid-20s I got saved, um, people who really were solid Christians, or I would see some bumper stickers, and it, they were good and godly. Now I think about it now. I would get mad. Because I was in a religion, I didn't want to get too close to God. So I was one of those people. You're going to get honesty from this pulpit. I really lived two lives. The life before knowing God, and I was, thank God he saved me, I was wacky. And then the life knowing God, I'm not perfect now, but I'm trying, right? Um, you know, to do, what he, to do what he asked. So this world, uh, Revelation 6, 15 through 16, you can read it another time but basically when the lord jesus comes back and returns in his second coming we're reading the future before it actually happens in revelation that the the hostility of the rebellious world against god is going to say let the rocks fall on us 
So the Lord Jesus returns. It's obvious that it's him. More obvious than it was in the first century because he's going to come back in power and glory. And instead of repenting and saying, oh, man, I've, I've, been, I've been in the wrong philosophy for the last decade, um, few decades, they just, they just wanted the rocks to fall on them and crush them and not have to face the Lord. That's how hostile this world is towards God. And i got to be honest with you, we are going to carry his message, and the world is becoming increasingly hostile to Christ's message. What's Christ's message? What is it? What's so bad about it? Love everybody, right? Love all. Try to get everybody into the kingdom of heaven. And there's hostility towards it. But there will be times where we will resist some of the decadent cultural norms, such as I'm a big uh, and I'm antagonistic towards the sexualization of children. If you wonder where I stood on that subject, it doesn't belong in the public schools. They're teaching them some very dirty things that I couldn't read from this pulpit. The books that they're having the kids read, and a lot of parents are protesting at these school board meetings. So if you really are a believer in Christ, these things are going to bother you. And you're going to say, you know, not use physical violence, but you're going to be outspoken about your disagreement with where the world is going. I'll leave you with another example, and then I'll move on, because some of this stuff can be depressing, is that... A person who has a, I gotta word this properly, who has an unnatural attraction to children, an adult, um, they're changing the definition and they're calling them MAPS, which is a minor attracted person. They're changing laws in Europe. Some of the laws of adult now is like 12 years old, 14, 15, because people that we used to call deviants or somebody that needed help are now it's being normalized. So, at, you know, we, American culture has really, really taken a turn for the worse. Hey, I'm against that. Just let you know where your pastor stands. Um, I do a lot of uh, anatomy and physiology. I still do a lot of study, uh, the behavioral sciences. How many people are familiar with the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual? Okay, that's basically the manual that the psychological world and behavioral world use to diagnose uh, mental aberrations or defects and how do we help them to become more what we would consider normal. The DSM, we're up to five. And the DSM keeps changing every few years because all the professionals get together and say, well, that's not deviant anymore. That's normal. By the time we get to the DSM-6, which is coming, instead of being a few hundred pages, it's going to probably be two or three pages because basically nothing is off limits anymore. And that's disgusting, personally. Um, you know, so, so this is where we're at. That's probably the part of the message that they don't like. The human soul, apart from God, will go to the greatest depths to fulfill their flesh. And we say, well, we're different people, and we, we don't think that's right. We should protect the kids. So moving on, verse 15. So our message sometimes can be, Again, we don't use physical violence, but we express an alternative to what is being taught in today's academic institutions, cor corporate uh, world, etc. Leaders of the world, it's becoming very deviant. So verse 15, the faithful are rewarded. So let's go back to the good news. And so it was that when he returned, the woman comes back, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he gave the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man gained by trading. The first came, saying, Master, your mina, 
your, that's the key word there, has earned ten minas. And he said, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. So, four is the faithful are rewarded. And that's the key word, your mina, Master. And I'm going to tell you something, anything good that I am comes from him. Because I wasn't, you know, people always say, I didn't kill anybody. Well, that's good, Pastor Joe. It's nice to know, you know. Um, But I I wasn't a nice person. It was all about me. I didn't care about other people. I wasn't other-centered. When the Lord changed my life, I could tell him, you're Mina. I didn't have this, Lord, before I knew you. You gave me a new heart, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. So, you know, when you really understand a relationship with Jesus Christ, you understand that everything good that we are, we owe to Him, right? So it's a small word, but it's very key to the story. Um, Have authority over ten cities. Now, you, you, you sort of see a break from the historical allusions to... You know, Jesus drew them in. He, he just drew them in with the story. And they think they know where he's going. And then he takes a detour. You could, you could picture it. If I was in the crowd, I'd be like, where are we going? We're on a detour. What? The ten cities? That didn't really happen in history. Exactly. He drew them into the story. Now he's giving them the truth of the spiritual teaching that he wants them to understand. Because they're all captivated at this point. Um, back then, you wouldn't probably wouldn't give each servant 50k and you wouldn't as because they're your servants they made the money you wouldn't say oh let me give you authority over 10 cities so the the story is starting to take a detour into what jesus is really trying to teach us um i look at this as you know the lord the, the lord calls us to do things you know just to live our life a certain way and even like I've said before, if you don't use words that people may be attracted to something about your character, right? You're different than people in my peer group. You're different than the other employees at this place. You know, what is it? And they almost, they start to ask questions. So if you're not a talkative person, which is cool, it might be drawn out of you. You might not be the first talk, right? But you'll be the, you'll respond, And you know the joy that you have in you and what the Lord's done in your life, so you want to share that. So guess what you're doing? You don't see it, but your mina is starting to rack up some figures. You know, the investment, you know, you don't see it, but it's a spiritual thing, and it's really neat. It's natural, and the Lord does the, you know, the accounting. Don't worry about that part. Um, So it's, it's pretty neat stuff. I look at 1 Corinthians 3, which is a chapter devoted to spiritual rewards, right? I also look at the millennial kingdom on, upon the Lord's second coming, which he spoke about. The millennial kingdom's even in the Old Testament, right? Lord returns. Thank God he deposes all the corrupt politicians. That's going to be my favorite day. And I'm sick of these people. They just lie all the time. Okay, let's go back to the story. But basically, he's going to set up this millennial kingdom and then eternity. So it is possible that he will put his people in charge of the cities on the earth. 
Now, I've often said this, and I have to laugh because I've said this, and then I listen to Chuck Smith, who's going to be with the Lord. And uh, actually, I actually was listening to him the other day on the electronic. Was it called an iPod? I don't even know. So I'm not a techie. But he, he was teaching, and he said, I've, I've told the Lord I really, really want a, a little city in Hawaii. You know what I'm saying? And I'm laughing because I always say from the pulpit, I want like a small town, just something real small on the Mediterranean, the food, the weather, you know. That's just where I want to be, Lord. So we'll see what happens if I'm faithful or not. But it's, it's fun stuff. But what are we doing with our lives? I'm going to ask you to pray for me because every so often I go out with some of the guys I went to college with. And that was when I didn't know the Lord. A lot of them obviously now know that I've, my life has changed. It's actually going to be Monday. Some of them actually listen. They're probably going to snicker. But, you know, I always try to, you know, I, I love them. I care about them. But I try to share, um, you know, spiritual things with them. So you can pray for me for tomorrow. Uh, in addition to that is some of them are extremely wealthy. They did very well for themselves. But I don't see a fulfillment in everybody. Because money, status, title is not going to bring you happiness. It actually does psychologically, temporarily, the endorphins, you know, the, more the dopamine, right? But it's, it doesn't last. Only eternal things will last, right? The new car smell goes away. You, you bought this house and, you know, your neighbors have a, a ground pool you want to put. It just doesn't end, you know? Oh, yeah, now we want a bigger house and we want a nicer car and, a more expensive vacation. You know, I know people who they go on a lot of vacations and they're so stressed out getting ready, <laughs> shaking your head and then coming back and then trying to decompress and then go back to work. And then it just, these things are, listen, I, there's nothing bad about them, but they, they're not going to satisfy you. I'm just saying, uh, verse 18, he says to the guy who earned five minas, he goes, Hey, you know, you, he didn't say anything less to him right? Um, some of us have a greater audiences. Some, are, some of us have gifts where we can reach a lot of people. Some of us are one-on-one ministers. Those are really needed in the church. And I'm blessed to have people here who do a lot of one-on-one ministering. They're not going to reach thousands, but they earned minas. And I'm not even going to say whether there was less or more. God knows these things. Just do it, right? So um, he, that person gets to... Uh, go over five cities or have authority over five cities. Um, you know, Zechariah 4.10, actually Pastor Paul quoted this uh, several months ago and it just kind of stuck in my head. I mean, I've read the whole Bible, but he kind of brought it up again and he says, don't despise, Zechariah says, don't despise the small things. See, in America, everything has to be big. You know, those big sodas. How, how does anybody drink one of those it's going to give you diabetes, you know what I'm saying? She whiz, big, big meals, you know. Then you, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to stop there. It, it, in God's economy, things don't have to be big and bloated. Zechariah 4.10 says, don't despise the small things. You pray about, Lord, how can I do something in this small way? And he gives it to you. You don't have to say, well, I want to be a rock star or a superstar. Can I tell you something? I'm not looking for this church to get any bigger. It's blessing that I, I see new people and they're welcome. But, you know, you got to check your ego at the door and say, whatever God has given me, I'm going to use that to his glory. If he gives me more, great. If he doesn't, no problem. You know what I'm saying? So he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
In Matthew 25, he also says, welcome into the joy of the Lord. That's really, really exciting. When this life ends, what really matters? Two things. God and people. Souls. I'm sure the angels are going to be really cool too to look at and you know, play ball with them or something, but you, the two most important things are God, the eternal God, and souls. Right? Because every soul here today, every person that's on this planet is an eternal being. And that's important. 20 through 23, continuing on. So this is, this is the, where people maybe have some disagreement. It's okay. Theologians discuss this one. But let's leave the main point the main point. Uh, it says, Then another came saying, Master, here's your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you're an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was, or if you knew, or since you knew, I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? So five is the lazy servant, the wicked servant, and what should stand out to us is his distorted view of his Lord, of the nobleman. You know, and this is, this is a tough one. What does this represent? If I can just boil it down and make it simple, don't be that person. There you go. Don't be that person. And this is what theologians do. Well, it's, it's this type of person. It's that type of person. Okay, Jesus told us a parable so we can just understand the main point. Don't be that person person see this person like those memes don't be this guy but i mean if i could take a stab is that a carnal christian is it a christian that's been to a church that has been poorly taught but there's still hope for that person because everyone can repent while they're still alive is that person um part of the christian culture that's very carnal in america right or wherever the person might be is this person sort of barely a believer, but they're living their life for themselves and everything that goes wrong, they blame God for? They're not living. They're living sort of in two worlds, wonder why they have problems in their life, and God gets the blame for everything that they perceive that goes wrong. You ever meet people that do that? The God blamers. Um, you know, so we don't know, but don't be that person. He says, you are austere. You are harsh. First of all, it's not, that's not true. Um, verse 21, this is also not true. You didn't invest, you just take from others what's not yours. According to the story, it's the nobleman's mina. So how is he not um, sowing? He's sowing his own mina, and he's reaping the benefit from what the mina made. Because without the 50K, they wouldn't have really made anything if they had nothing in their pocket. So based on the parable, the person's it's distorted. And you know what? When we don't live the right life, our thinking becomes distorted. You know what I'm saying? When we live in a, a, just a series of dysfunction, even people that come into Christianity, it's, it takes a little while to clean up some of the baggage, and God wants to do that. I know for me, you know, I, I, everything I thought about life was, was distorted in some way. But I sat under good teaching. I had uh, faithful Christians who ministered to me and were able to answer a lot of my questions. And I was able to get some of my thought processes at least becoming functional. You see what I'm saying? So this person has, there's a lot of issues there that they have not dealt with. 
And verse 22 can be translated, as I keep doing it, if you knew or if you believed these things about me, you would have made, I'm paraphrasing, a safe investment. He says, out of your own mouth, I, I can judge you based on what you're saying. It's coming out of your own mouth, you know? He does basically nothing with the mina. And he could be a person. Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm not going to do all the speculation, but um, I would just say this. If you're hearing this and reading this and you say, you know what, that, in, at least in some ways, that might characterize me, which when I first came to Christ reading that, I would say, well, it probably characterizes me. There's a lot of things I have to learn about God and, and spiritual things. Here's the blessing. Change. Give your life to Christ. Rededicate your life today. We'll be here after service. We'll pray with you. Just rededicate your life. There's no shame in it, Right? And I think sometimes our pride and our ego get in the way of saying, you know what, I'm not living the right life. God probably is not completely pleased with what I'm doing. I want to change, which is the word repent. So, we can also come to the understanding based on this that God is trying to... So through the nobleman and the servants, right? Why bother? Here's the investment. Okay, whatever, it's a story. This is what people did back then. But let's look at the spiritual part of it. Is it possible that God wants us as believers to... You know, in Revelation, when the church is removed and a lot of the believers and, you know, indwelling Holy Spirit in these believers is removed, God's still preaching the gospel. He sends an angel to, thrive, to actually fly through the heavens. This is right in Revelation and preach the everlasting gospel because the people aren't there anymore that we're doing it, right? Um, isn't it a cool thing that God uses us? We're frail, we're, we're, we're sinners, we're a lot of things. Um, maybe some of us has, have failed at life, temporal life, but God can still use us in a mighty way to, to do spiritual investing. And I think that's an amazing thing. Probably if, if I was to step down and an angel came up here and was preaching to you, they'd probably do a greater job. They wouldn't mess up. They wouldn't have forgot something like I did in the opening. You know what I'm saying? They'd do, do a perfect job. Why does God use a sinner? Why does God use us? That's the beautiful thing. That's how much He loves us. When heaven comes and all these people are rushing in and we see all these souls from the past and we had a small part of that, isn't that exciting? God's like the CEO of the universe. And He's like, come on into my office. Here, take my stuff. Here, sign my name. I want you to go out there and I want you to, I want you to help these people to live a better life. So I don't look at it as work. I look at it as, well, thank you, Lord. I don't deserve this. Amen? <sighs> I'll just leave you with a... So talk about small things. All right, it's a, to me, this is a very small thing and that's why I'm sharing it. If it was a big thing, then I would say there's a humility problem. So... Here's something real small. So I go to the supermarket and I'm walking out and there's this little tiny manila envelope and it's sealed. And there's some elderly people in front of me. One guy has a cane. So I pick it up and I'm like, hey, sir, did you drop this? No, it's not mine. Some other people. I'm like, oh, now I'm stuck with this thing. So I'm like, all right. I'm just standing there with it. I'm like, my ice cream's melting. You know, I love ice cream. So I, I open it up and you know, you hear there's fentanyl and everything. So I'm like, I open it up and I'm like this, what is it? It's actually cash. Okay. Somebody lost this, right? So now I go to the courtesy desk and, uh, there's, there's three people there. And I'm like, listen, there's like 50, 60 bucks in here. Um, it's not mine. Somebody will probably come back and claim it. 
could you guys hold it for me? And they said, yeah. I said, wait, one thing. I took out of my pocket one of my scripture cards with the church information, and I put it in there as if it belonged there, and I gave it to them. So somebody very close to me said, well, what if somebody doesn't, isn't honest and they just take it home with them? I said, well, there's a scripture in there. Maybe they'll be convicted. Maybe they'll get saved. You know what I'm saying? I got an answer for everything. All I know is it wasn't my money. And I would have felt severe conviction driving home with that in my car, right? That's not, that's, the old Joe was not like that. How many of you have heard this little ditty in grade school? Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Oh, a lot of you. That would have been the old Joe. I would have went, woohoo. Hey, I didn't steal it. It just, nobody's claiming it. So all I knew is it wasn't my money and I didn't want it. And I hope that maybe they might be watching and say, what's this church all about? They gave me my money back. Well, praise God. Give your life to Jesus today. So, so let's continue. So it's small. It's so small. But it was, the card was sort of a seed, a spiritual seed. Last few verses. All right, this is the tough part. And he said to those, I'm going to go through this really fast because this is, no, I'm not. It says, and he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10 minas, but they said to him, Master, he already has 10 minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine, different group, who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Six out of six is justice for all, a hard truth. Now, verse 26, and we've seen this before, right? So the guy who has very little he's got one it's taken from him and given to the guy who's got 10 in every culture around the world pastors have to fight against the ridiculous cultural philosophies this is not predatory capitalism where god wants the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer if you understand this on a spiritual plane it's sort of the use it or lose it spiritual principle so he didn't really want anything to do with God. He didn't want the mina, and God wasn't going to have it get wasted. Now, we know somebody from Genesis. Well, we don't know him personally. His name is Esau. This dude was really hungry after being out in the field, and his brother was cooking lentil stew, and he's like, wow, that smells really good. Let me have some. And his brother says, well, give me your birthright, and you could have the stew. So they did an exchange. That must have been some really good stew for him to get rid of his birthright. It's like you could have waited or picked something outside, but Esau was a person who was so fleshly, so worldly, that he gave up something spiritual to his brother just for a bowl of soup, right? Um, so it's sort of that principle where God's like, you know, my things are valuable. If you don't want them, I'll give them to somebody who does. It has nothing to do with predatory capitalism and all the stuff you hear on the news so people will go this isn't the church no understand what it means um so let's go back to the beginning they expected the conquering messiah in the first century and the lord was basically telling them not now however until i come you all have a responsibility do business spiritual investing until i return to us today the Lord may be saying to us, it might be close, but don't stand staring at the sky. Do what I've called you to do. So all believers have that mandate and have the ability to do these things. Um, as far as the enemies or the, the rebellious world, listen, this is justice. 
Today, people talk about justice all the time, but people want selective justice. Justice is a word that stands alone. You always hear environmental justice, this justice. Justice is justice. And here's the problem. The people who point fingers at somebody else who virtue signal, that group, they need justice. God's going to hold that person right responsible for what they've done. See, Jesus came so that we wouldn't have to get justice. We could get grace and mercy. See, I'll choose door number two, thank you. I'll take grace and mercy. I don't want justice, right? Because I know I'm a sinner. Um, Listen, they hated God when the flood came. They hated God when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. They hate Him today because of the sick agendas that they want to propagate on children and others. They will hate Him. We read this in Revelation 6. In the future and beg the mountains to fall on them and kill them so they don't have to face the Lord instead of repenting. The rebellious soul against God is a self-destructive soul. I'll read you one more scripture and then we're going to close. Philippians 2, 10 through 11. This is a fact. It says, this is a future occurrence. It says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those, or will bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Very interesting. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the question is, will we bow to the Lord out of adoration, which we could do right now, which I have done and I'll do every day. I'll bow the knee for adoration, figuratively, physically if I have to. Um, But the rebellious world will be forced to bow the the knee out of obligation. You don't want to be in that category. So as we close, do business until he comes. What small way can we do business, spiritual investing in others, in the lives of others? Jesus tells us, or we're told in John 3, that Jesus came as the light into the world. Brothers and sisters, are we hiding that light? Are we hiding it? Beauty is, you can change that today. You can shine your light. Right? Uh, the ability to bring people closer to God. Are we about the Lord's business? Or are we involved in monkey business? Or are we involved in somebody else's business and not minding our own business? Or selfish business, right? It's the business is not some grandiose thing. It's available for all of us to use. We just may have to pray and ask the Lord, help me to understand this. Help me to have people around me that can explain this to me because, because I want to take your minas and I want to, even if I make just one more mina. When I get to heaven, I just want to see the people I've influenced. And so do I. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.